Hey there everyone and welcome back to MedTalks. My name is Saiho Nichani and I am currently a junior doctor working within the East Midlands. This episode is part of our finals countdown series and we're currently in the gastroenterology section. We're giving all of you medical students with short, succinct and super useful revision talks for your upcoming exams and beyond. Now in this episode I'll be covering liver cirrhosis. I'll be talking about what cirrhosis is, what the risk factors and causes are, how common it is, how we can identify it clinically, biochemically and radiologically and then we'll go on to talk about the management and the and the many complications of cirrhosis. So without further ado, what is cirrhosis? Well the word cirrhosis stems from the ancient Greek times way back in the day and it originates from a Greek word called kiros which means tawny or an orange brown or yellowish brown colour. And this is often the colour of the liver in this cirrhotic stage. So the kir means tawny and the osis means an abnormal condition. It is characterised by the replacement of normal liver tissue with scar tissue and the loss of functional liver cells to structurally abnormal nodules. It's the final histological pathway for many liver diseases. Now, how much of the liver needs to be damaged before you get to this stage? I hear you all eagerly mutter. Well, as you know, the liver has this wonderful ability to regenerate its tissue. However, once 80-90% to 90% of the liver parenchyma has been destroyed, this essentially is, leads to cirrhosis. Right, so what causes the liver to become cirrhotic? Well, many conditions. And depending on the underlying cause, cirrhosis can take weeks to many years to develop. And I'll split the causes into common and uncommon. So, the common causes. Alcohol excess over many, many years. Hepatitis B and C infection, which will be covered in a separate talk. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which again, we'll go over in another talk. And the uncommon causes are hemochromatosis, which will be covered shortly. Primary biliary cholangitis and primary sclerosing cholangitis, which have already been covered. And, are, and these are the two previous talks in this section autoimmune hepatitis and Wilson's disease, which both will be covered in the next talks, alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, sarcoidosis, which you can listen to now, as part, which, and that's part of our respiratory section of the finals countdown series, biliary obstruction, so biliary atresia, cystic fibrosis, met, drugs, medications can cause it, so methotrexate, amiodarone, isoniazid, Bud Chiari syndrome, infections such as syphilis, schistosomiasis, and congestive heart failure, which is which is a talk that's part of our cardiology section. So you can listen to that now as well on all podcast platforms. So in terms of in terms of statistics, well, roughly around thirty thousand people are living with cirrhosis in the UK, and around seven thousand new cases are diagnosed each year. This is likely secondary to an increase in alcoholism in the UK. So, now we'll cover some of the risk factors for cirrhosis, which we've already mentioned a few of them already. So, alcoholic liver disease and hepatitis C are the most common causes in developed countries. Hepatitis B is the most common cause in parts of Asia and in sub-Saharan Africa. And there may also be a genetic predisposition to cirrhosis, which can explain the variable rates of its development in people with similar risk factors, such as alcohol abuse or hepatitis C. And continued alcoholism it can increase the rate of progression of cirrhosis from any cause. Another cause of liver cirrhosis, which we've touched on, is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And the preceding state is the non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, 
And risk factors for developing this are older age, obesity, insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes, hypertension and hyperlipidemia. Right, so now let's start to think about the clinical features of cirrhosis. Unfortunately, around 40% of patients can actually be asymptomatic initially, which is not really helpful for us. It may be incidentally found on a routine blood test that the liver function tests are deranged, and then ultrasound imaging may highlight cirrhotic features. In any case, a comprehensive history will be needed to outline any potential risk factors, so things like alcohol consumption and history, any use of drugs or medications, risk factors for hepatitis infection, a family history of autoimmune or other liver diseases. In those where there are signs and symptoms, they may be vague, and these might be fatigue, general malaise, anorexia, nausea and weight loss. But if there is advanced decompensated liver disease, patients may have edema, ascites, so this is excessive fluid within the abdominal wall cavity, easy bruising, which may be due to reduced production of clotting factors by the liver, bleeding esophageal varices, which are dilated and tortuous vessels within the esophagus that are at high risk of rupturing and bleeding and causing upper GI bleeds. Spontaneous bacterial peritonitis may also be a presenting feature, and this is infection of the abdominal fluid or ascites. The signs of liver cirrhosis, now this is where it starts to get fun. For each sign, I'll go through why they appear so we can understand the pathophysiology a little bit better. So if you've got a patient who you think might have cirrhosis, then there are lots of cutaneous signs, and so you should assess their skin for the following features. Jaundice or yellowing in the skin, so the eyes and the sclera, and this is due to the buildup of bilirubin, which the cirrhotic liver is unable to break down. And excessive bilirubin can lead to pruritus, so it causes itching, which can lead to scratch marks. Spider nevi or spider angiomas may develop, and these are enlarged blood vessels within the skin, typically seen on the trunk and the face. Now, they can occur in the absence of pathology, but if there are five, more than five noted, then this is likely to resemble some form of pathology, and it's usually the liver. The actual etiology is unknown, but they are well associated with liver disease. Palmer erythema can occur, so this is when there is erythema, erythema or reddening of the skin within the palms. And this is thought to be caused by alterations in the metabolism of oestrogen by the cirrhotic liver, which leads to increased vascularity. Patients may have bruising, petechiae, so tiny spots on the skin due to impaired production of clotting factors. And white nails or coilinicia due to hypoalbuminemia. Hypoalbuminemia or low albumin levels within the blood occurs due to decreased synthesis by the damaged hepatocytes, but also due to water and sodium retention in the cirrhotic state. This causes reduced concentrations of albumin within the blood. Other signs that you may find are hepatomegaly, so enlargement of the liver, gynecomastia, again due to alterations in the metabolism of estrogen, and similarly hypogonadism, tes testicular atrophy, and amenorrhea. And you may see Kaiser Fleischer rings, which are brown rings of copper deposits around the cornea, and these are typically associated with Wilson's disease, and we'll cover that condition in an, another talk. Patients may have signs of portal hypertension, so ascites, and this is clinically detected when there's more than one and a half litres of fluid present within the abdomen. Caput medusae, which are radiating veins that come from the umbilicus, and splenomegaly, so enlargement of the spleen. Another important sign to be aware of is hepatic encephalopathy, which may present as asterixis or hepatic flap. 
And to detect asterixis, you need to take a patient's hand and gently hyperextend their wrist and joints of the hand, pushing it, pushing gently on the tips of the four fingers. Then you hold that position for several seconds, and if there is any asterixis, you'll feel a slow clonic flexion relaxation movement against your hand if it's present. Right, so that's a pretty good overview of the clinical features. Now let's move on to how we diagnose liver cirrhosis. So, we'll start with basic blood tests. We've obviously done our history and a comprehensive examination at this point and looked to identify lots of the signs that we've previously discussed. But the blood test that you do will depend to a considerable extent upon your clinical suspicion of the etiology of the cirrhosis. So, of course, you're going to do some liver function tests and this will be aspartate transaminase, alanine transaminase, alkaline phosphatase, bilirubin and gamma glutyl transferase. Damage to the hepatocytes will lead to a raised ALT and AST. Active alcoholics will have a raised gamma GT. Uh, albumin will be low because of what we previously discussed, so it's not being made by the damaged hepatocytes and also the concentration is reduced due to water retention. A full blood, blood count will highlight a full blood count may show an anemia. This is typically macrocytic, secondary to alcohol excess. There may be occult bleeding and thrombocytopenia due to hypersplenism. Urea and electrolytes, electrolytes, so there may be a hyponatremia due to increased ADH activity. And poor renal function can lead to something called hepatorenal syndrome, which we will discuss in another talk. Coagulation, so you need to check clotting factors and 